0: As we gather here today, let me tell you a story about a desperate father and his dying son. The father was a royal official, a man of wealth and power. But in this moment, nothing mattered. His heart was heavy with fear and grief as he watched his son slip away inch by inch from a deadly fever that was killing him softly. He had heard of a man named Jesus, a healer, a teacher who had performed miraculous acts in Jerusalem. With nowhere else to turn, he set out to find Jesus, hoping against hope that he could save his son. After a long journey, he finally found Jesus in Galilee. He fell at Jesus' feet, begging him to come And heal his son. Jesus looked at him and said, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. The father's heart sank. Was he too late? Was there no hope for his son? But he did not give up. He persisted pleading with Jesus to come and heal his son. Jesus looked at him, and in that moment, he saw the father's faith. He saw the love and desperation in his heart, and he was moved. He told the father to go home, assuring him that his son would live. The father trusted in Jesus' words, and he set out on the journey home. Every step was filled with anxiety. Every step was filled with wondering and hope. Maybe a little doubt crept in. The one thing that he clung to was his faith. As he approached his home, he saw his servants running towards him. They cried out, your son is alive, assuring him that his son was healed. And in that moment, the father knew without a doubt that Jesus was the son of God. He had witnessed a miracle, a healing that defiled all logic and reason. And he knew that his faith had been rewarded. Dear brothers and sisters, the story reminds us that no matter how desperate our situation, no matter how heavy our burdens, we can always turn to Jesus. He is the healer, the Savior, the Son of God. So I want to encourage you this afternoon, may we never lose faith. May we always trust in his power to heal and to save us. Amen? Turn with me to John chapter 4 in your copy of God's Word. For our text this morning, we'll be, we're going to be reading verses 43 through 54. I hope I, I've piqued your interest as we look into the scriptures Hear now the word of the living God. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast they too had gone to the feast, so he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go. Your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left them. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he believed, and he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray. O Lord and our God, we pray that you will empty us that we might receive your word. We pray that you would fill us with your word, that we might leave here full. Having our souls fed, we pray, Lord, that you would help us. We know that you would challenge us. We pray, Lord, that with all that is said, Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand how we can apply your word that we might regularly worship you. We pray now that you would give us listening ears that we might hear with understanding and with clarity. We pray that your word will go deep in us that will bring about change. We pray for the one who do not know you, who have not claimed you for themselves. We pray that today that would change. They would come to faith and they would believe. We pray, Lord, that you would use this hour, Lord, to glorify you, to honor you, Lord. Help us in doing that. May you be pleased. Help me, Lord, a weak man. Pray, Lord, that I would only be a vessel, that your word might go forth with power and conviction. Lead me and guide me to only speak that which will honor your word. May you be pleased, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As you've already saw in the bulletin, I've entitled this sermon, Faith. The greatest turning point of our lives. Uh, Today we're able to, if you would, peep down and look into this story about an official who wanted something from Jesus, but Jesus decided to give him something else. And so, as we look at just our text and we think about this, take think about the times. Uh, that all of this happened. just want to give a, a, just a little background here. Um, I want to say that the exact travel times for, for Jesus and his disciples during uh, the early ministry, as described in John 119 to442 um, are not mentioned. the travel times, right? However, we can make some estimates based on the distance in the typical travel fe- speeds in the ancient world. For example, we know that Canaan was about 20 miles, 32 kilometers. So from Nazareth to Capernaum, and all these areas are around the, the Sea of Galilee. And so you can imagine Nazareth, uh, you can imagine uh, Capernaum, all these places are Uh, or in a general area around the Sea of Galilee. And as you remember, that's where Jesus met his disciples because they had a booming fishing business at that time. And we know who was behind that. (laughs) The Lord came in and opened up business. Fish were everywhere. And so they're, they're at that place. So the Lord Jesus is coming back. Also, um, Nazareth and Capernaum was about 16 miles, 26 kilometers from Canaan. Uh, these distance could likely be covered in about a day or two. Right? Jerusalem, which was kind of south of, of the Sea of Galilee, you have all of these towns here. And then you have, I think, Cana is north. And then right below that, And remember, he just came up from Samaria, Right. He just came up from Samaria. And so here it is. um, Jerusalem is beneath there. And so in order to get from Jerusalem to up to the Sea of Galilee, where all of these places are, Capernaum and Cana and Nazareth, uh, it would have took a couple of days. So just want us to kind of get a feel of the travel time in the ancient world. But we also must keep in mind that sometimes the the terrains, these these are not the things that are listed in Scripture, but there could be some concerns there. Some other factors that might take into play is, is weather and safety concerns. So while we can make some estimates Based on distance, the actual travel times may have been quite different in practice, depending upon these things. But Jesus was serious about the ministry. You remember in Luke 4, 43, what did the Lord say? He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. So we're we're seeing the mind of God. So when people approach him about certain things, he's always thinking about his mission. And our Lord was on mission. This passage, passage sets the scene for the story that follows. Jesus had just returned to Galilee after spending time in Samaria where he had an encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. Verses 1-42 through 42. The fact that Jesus points out that a prophet has no honor in his own country is significant. As it it paints a picture, it foreshadows the fact that he would not be well received in, by all in Galilee. Despite this, the Galileans welcomed him. Now, why do, you, why do you think that they would welcome him? Why would they change their minds or seemingly change their minds? They want to welcome him because they see him as one who does signs and wonders. So they they want something from him. See, if people can get something out of you, they'll make some change. Oh, it's not that bad. Right? People will make adjustments. And the Galileans were doing the same kinds of things. They had heard about all the things that he had done in Jerusalem. And so in John four forty three through 45, it says, after two days, he departed for Galilee. He's coming out of Samaria and he's going to Galilee. And then Jesus himself testifies that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, they welcomed him. So when he came to Galilee and the Galileans welcomed him after seeing all that he had done in Jerusalem and after seeing what he had done at the feast, Jesus is now considered famous, if you would. And so this is a reference to really... When someone comes into fame, people are understanding. But here, Jesus is reminding the reader that a prophet is not accepted in his own hometown. This is common. It's harder to do something when your family is around. Your family has a way of pointing out the wrong that is in you. Everybody else can see something good or something favorable, but your family has a way of finding something, pointing it out, making it known. And Jesus understood that. But he's reminded, the Lord is reminded that he has a work to do, even with all of that going is going on with with all of that going on Jesus arrives in Galilee the Galileans welcome him and they understand that he is one who have done miracles and so it emphasizes the popularity the recognition the miracles all of those things and so have that in the background Because all of that is going to show forth his witness. And we're going to see faith build. We're going to see belief build. But we can see where the minds of the people are. In verse 46, he says, So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard, that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So once more, he's visiting Cana, where he had turned water into wine, and then this royal official, whose son is sick at Capernaum, which is about 20 miles away. See, the father heard that Jesus was in town, so he redirected himself so that he might go to Cana, so that he might meet the Lord Jesus Christ in order that he might heal his son. So this man heard and he arrived in Galilee from Judea. He went to him and begged him to come and heal his son. But what did Jesus say? And some might feel like this is kind of strange or rude. He's saying, Lord, please heal my son. My son is dying. But what does the Lord say? Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. This is the heart of the story. A royal official, likely someone in the service of King Herod Antipas, comes to Jesus seeking healing for his son. The fact that the official is willing to travel a great distance to seek Jesus' help shows the depth of his faith and desperation. Jesus' response may seem harsh at first, but it is a challenge to the official's belief. He is asking the official to believe in him. He's asking him to trust in him, not just in signs and wonders that he's able to perform. He's asking him, you need to know me. But what was the father's initial situation? We can understand. Why did he even seek Jesus' help? His son was dying. Time was running out. And he sought Jesus' help because he heard that he had the ability to heal. Like the father, we can recognize our need for help and turn to Jesus in faith, believing that he can heal and restore us. The question is, what are we seeking the Lord for? What are we trusting in him for? Are we like this Father, only wanting something from the Lord? Or do we love him for him? Do we honor him for who he is? And so we can, we, can, we can understand the Father. We have needs and uh, we need help, but we must never forget the objective of why we are here. We're here to honor and to glorify God. And so we're to keep him number one in our lives. Despite the trials and difficulties we might face, we must remember the object of our faith, and it is Christ. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. This is mentioned in chapter 2 by the Jews. It's something that they wanted. So Jesus knew this. He's been familiar in John 2.18. It says, the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us? For doing these things. In other words, give us a little something, give us a little something, and we'll believe. Right? It's the same thing they said on the cross. Show us. You know, come, take us down from the cross. Show us. If you are the son of God, then take yourself down. Right? Again, looking for signs. Someone here today may be waiting on some sort of sign before they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not the way it works. That's disbelief. It's as if you're asking God for a payment before you believe. Right? That's not how it works. God have already given us the evidence that he is God and he have come to save the world. You've said I'm not come to be served but I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. I am the savior of the world. That's what happened with the Samaritan woman when she began to understand Who Jesus was, she said, she testified, come see a man that told me all that I ever did. And what did the people say? The people say, we don't have to hear it from you anymore. We know for ourselves. And the people believed and they began serving and they say, could you stay here for just a couple of days? And the scripture teaches that he stayed there. Can you imagine being in front of the master as he poured open the word of God and how one must live? But he says, I got to depart. Because he once said, I must go to Samaria. But he also needs to go to Cana. Because he, un- he understands that there's a man there whose son is dying. But God is not interested in the physical abilities of what we might need or what we might be able to do. He is all about souls. So guess what he has? He has the best comfort food anyone could ever want. He has the best soul food. Anyone could ever want. This is the kind of soul food that lasts forever. Can you imagine collard greens like that? <laughs> but the reality is, is that whatever God gives us, it does not fail. It's eternal. You see, this is, this is what we must be thinking about as we're Traveling through this world. So I want to encourage you today, my friend, apart from Christ, there's no other way into the kingdom of God. Put your hope and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. What am I saying? I'm saying a gift is available to you if you're willing to receive it. The scripture teaches that this gift was given to the world out of love for God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And we see it here in our text as we read on. So by putting faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we exercise faith in him. That's the dividing line. There's nothing that you have to do in order to be saved. The Lord says, believe, believe. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. For with the mouth, confession is made known. And with the heart, belief comes. So it's. It's what we believe that separates us from God. Right? Because here's the thing. All of us on our own are disqualified to enter the kingdom of God. So, so we're not saying we're better than you. Like many have said, we're only sinners telling other sinners who and where the bread is. And that bread is the Lord Jesus Christ. Place your faith in him. Trust in him with everything. We forfeit all so that we might have Christ the more. And that begins by believing in him and trusting in him for our salvation. We're essentially releasing all power and ownership we have in order to submit to the Lordship of Christ. So, we exercise our faith in God. That's why we're able to say, as in the title, faith is the greatest turning point of our lives. Because if we don't have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Josh already mentioned it, what are we doing? This means nothing if we're not in Christ. So, just. Coming to the building doesn't qualify us for the kingdom of God. It's what we believe. It's who we are trusting in. It's the object of our faith that tells us that we are his and he's ours. So the greatest turning point of our lives is knowing Christ, our faith. So, how did this father demonstrate his faith in Jesus, and what was the result of his faith? The father believed. The father believed. Jesus' word, he took the word of the Lord Jesus Christ and then. He traveled a long distance. He believed Jesus, even though he had not seen any physical evidence of Jesus healing power. But he heard. Right. And it's interesting because the scripture teaches us that faith comes by hearing. Right. Faith comes by hearing. In order for us to exercise faith, we must first hear the word of God so that we might respond. Everyone will leave here responding to the word of Jesus Christ. And that will either be in favor of the word or in opposition of the word. Because if we don't believe in him, we're turning our backs against God. And we're saying today that we were we were there. We were we were right there with you in disobedience in opposition against God and those who who need relationship with God you can come to know him through faith. And so Jesus responded to the father's faith by healing his son. We can Demonstrate our faith in Jesus by trusting his word and following him, following his commands. Even when we don't see immediate results, we can trust Jesus. We'll respond to our faith and work in ways that is beyond our understanding. One of the biggest problems we have is we won't trust God until we understand. God did not promise us that. He wants us to believe because of who he is. I'm knocking everything. Because of who he is. He wants us to trust him because of who he is and what he has done. And so let us continue on. The official said to him, sir, Come down, please, before my child dies. As if he says, I'm really, I I don't have, I don't have no other hope. I I came to you. I, I came to you. Sir, please come. He's at the point of death. Please come. This official was at the greatest turning point in his life. Because he was placing Jesus as the object of his faith. He was putting his trust and hope in him. Why do you think the father didn't seek help from another source? He could have went to some of the doctors in that town. He could have went to some of the musician, musicians in that town, magicians in that town. It's because the Father recognized that Jesus is the only true source of healing and restoration for our lives. And this is something that we all must conclude. We all must come to this conclusion that all we got and the only hope that we have, that we can trust, that who will never fail us, who will never let us down, is Jesus. fail you people on your job will fail you your children will fail you your husband and wife will fail you but the Lord Jesus mm -mm, never never the father recognized that Jesus was his only source and this is something that we should also recognize that when we are dealing with trials and tribulations, that Jesus is the only source where there can be true healing and restoration for us. We should not look to any other sources for our ultimate hope and salvation. You see, the nature of faith depends upon the object of that faith. When we trust and hope in God and the Lord Jesus Christ, we also recognize our need to place our confidence, not in ourselves, but in him. We see this in Hebrews 11, verse 6. The text states that, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Exercising faith. When we seek the Lord, we're exercising faith. So do you see how we must have God as the object of our faith? Then we can begin To please him according to his word. And so that means that our attitudes are found strong and sure, even when we can't see our way. We know that because God keeps his promises, our footing is on a sure foundation. In other words, we mustn't worry because God is able to keep us. Genuine faith is known in the person that obeys the commands of God out of love and good works. And that's not dependent upon how we are being treated. Faith is an outward manifestation of one's personal trust and belief in God. Turn with me to Psalm 18. And we're going to see this. going to see this picture here. King David is expressing his faith in this psalm. And this is when your confidence is in God, when you're placing faith in him. This is a picture of what it might look like. Beginning at verse 2, David says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies, the courts of Death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help for his temple. He heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. Are you trying to take on too much? Are you trying to carry a burden or a load that you should have given it over to the Lord? What are you holding on to? What are you, what are you clinging to? It's only when we choose to use false objects for our faith that we begin to not trust God and instead believe in and trust in our own weak plans. Some of the false objects of faith include human resources. Some of us got a little change in our pocket and we're able to reach out and get what we want or what we desire. Then there's others, other Who rely on self. In other words, any idol given the position of power, influence, or reverence in the place of God is wrong. Our text states that the man believed the words of Christ. Even though he was in trouble, this father believed and placed faith, his faith in the words of Christ. Christ, the psalmist reminds us of this in Psalm forty, verse seventeen. He says, "As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Deliverer, do not delay, O oh my God." So, why do you think the father didn't seek help from any other source? Because the father recognized that Jesus was his source, his source. And he put all of his chips on Jesus. And that's what everyone must do. We must give ourselves over to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Father was desperate. He needed Jesus now. Do you need Jesus now? Or are you waiting for something catastrophic to happen before you start running to him? Do God have to shake us, discipline us that we might come to him? Or will we come willingly? So we must come to a point that we begin to recognize that Christ is our source, source of restoration, source of healing for our lives. But how can we apply the Father's example of putting faith in the Lord Jesus to our own lives today? How can we apply this? We see that in verse 50. We can apply the Father's example of faith in Jesus by recognizing our own need and believing in the power that Jesus can help us believing in his power. Then following that up with obeying his command. This is not something we can do standing around being inactive, but we must be proactive in our faith, in our walk. You say, but how? We can cultivate our faith in Jesus by spending more time in prayer, and more time reading his word, and by seeking fellowship with other believers more often who can encourage and support us on our journey of faith. What we're doing when we do that, we're building up our cities. We're fortifying the walls, if you would, so that the world can't come in. We're fortifying the walls through prayer, fortifying the walls through the reading of Scripture. We are putting on the armor of God so that we might be ready for war. Amen? And we have to make sure that we have the right weapons to fight. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but we're fighting against principalities and powers in high places, spiritual wickedness. And therefore, we need the word of God to help us. We need the word of God to help us and guide us. So we must put on our armor. Must be proactive. But what about the timing of all of it? What does this passage mean? teach about the timing of our request to Jesus and his response to our faith. Listen and look again at the text. Verse 51. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he just exercised faith. And now he's on the road wondering what would happen. And then right right up ahead he see his servants and his servants met him and told him he's recovering. He's getting stronger. So he thinks, Hmm, this is interesting. Uh, about what time did you say? Uh, he, he was here. I said about one o'clock, one o'clock, <laughs> one o'clock. Really? Yeah. About one o'clock that drove him Deeper into Christ shouldn't we have a story like that once we've been saved drives us deeper into Christ because of what he have done for us when we, when we contemplate this great salvation that we don't deserve that we're going to actually be with God forever in all eternity having our sins being bought and paid for being at the greatest after party ever Right. That's our position. But if we don't live in it, we can't appreciate it. We still live like slaves. Still have a slave mentality. Still put on slave clothes, still have slave attitudes and functioning in a slavish way. But we are children of the king. Put on your clothes Live like a child of the king. Be confident with the king's signet that is in you, the Holy Spirit. God has sealed us. Live on, Christian. Live in your hope. Live in your confidence. Know that he is God and we serve a promise-keeping God. He won't fail you. He won't ever fail you. And so this passage teaches us, teaches us that Jesus can respond to our faith. And the beautiful thing is that God has a long arm. You're not too far. You see You see what he did with the official. He said, son, go home. Your, your child will live. God didn't have to be there in order to to distribute his blessings. But what did he say to us? He says, lo, I am with you, not sometimes, but always. And so God can work beyond our expectations, We must be disciplined in our practice until the Lord calls us home. In other words, this is something we have to work on. We should be persistent in our prayers, in our prayer requests to Jesus, even when we don't feel like praying, even when we feel like he's not answering. We should trust that he knows what is best for us and respond to our faith in his own way, and in his own timing, that's what Jesus would do. He's going to respond to our faith in his own way and in his own time. And the question is, are we okay with that? If we're going to moan and complain about something, we're not okay with that. Right? So, so that's something that we have to change. Right? That's something that we have to change. And that's something we have to continue to work on because for us all, it creeps in. But we see this exercise of faith. We see it in the life of Noah and Moses. Joshua exercised faith in, in, at the Jordan River and at the walls of Jericho. All that walls and all that came down by faith. There was no bulldozer. <laughs> right, right? It pro- man, we walk around this wall, man. It don't make no sense. Walk around the wall and everything fall. It don't make no sense. I don't care what you say, Joshua. It don't make sense. Joshua said, hang in there. <coughs> I know. <laughs> but the point is, is that we're going to go through our emotions. But where do we put them, though? We're to put those emotions under the sovereignty of God. And we're to lay it down and rest and go to sleep at night because he's in control. He never lost control. We lose control all the time. <laughs> and then we call somebody else to lose control because we're yelling at them and they, they lose control. But here's the thing. In our last verse, in verse 54. This was the second sign that Jesus did when he had come to Judea. So how does encountering Jesus transform our outlook on life? Encountering Jesus can transform our outlook on life by giving us a sense of hope and purpose that transcends our circumstance. But again, we have to think like what the word tells us to think like. And so we we have to deal with this. So this, this has to be an everyday thing. In other words, we should seek to encounter Jesus in our daily lives through the things that we do every day. We should be inviting God to join us in everything that we do. It's okay for you to talk to yourself. Right? What I mean by that, it's okay to talk in prayer to God when you're alone. And so that's something we must practice in every respect so we can learn from this father's testimony of Jesus Christ, his transforming power. We can learn. Uh, Listen again to verse 53. The father, what? The father, what does it say in the text? Knew, right? The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son would live. And then what happened, y'all? And he himself, what? He believed. believed. And not, not only did that have an effect on him, but the text says his old household. So we can learn from the father's testimony that Jesus has the power to transform our lives. It doesn't matter how you smell. It doesn't matter how deep in sin you are or were. God could clean all of that up. So please, don't try to clean yourself up. That's God's business. All he said was come. Come to me, you who are laden and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So the question is, do you want rest? Do you want the kind of rest that is lasting? Or do you want a kind of rest that has a ceiling on it that will only last for so long before you're crying out again in need for more rest? And so I'm going to close as we come to the end of our reflection on John four forty three through fifty four, let's take a moment to reflect on the deep and personal meaning that this passage holds for uh, for each of us. The story of a desperate father who turned to Jesus in his hour of need is a reminder that no matter how lonely or isolated we may feel, we are never truly alone. Jesus is with us always, ready to listen to our prayers and answer them in ways that are beyond our understanding. Through this passage, we see the incredible power of faith and and the healing that it can be, it can bring. We are reminded that no matter what struggles we may face in our daily lives, we can always turn to Jesus for comfort and guidance. So, As we leave this place, let us carry the message of hope and of healing with us. Let us remember that we are beloved children of God and that we we are never alone. And so may we find, may we all find comfort in the words of Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. May the love and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Amen. Amen. Father God, we thank you for your word, Lord. May you cause your word to be activated in your people that we might not uh, allow this word to be lost, uh, wasted, Lord, but we pray, Lord, that you would help us to Make the changes that we ought to make, Lord, and do whatever we need to do, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.